All right, thanks, Anderson. I'm Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. We've got breaking news out of Washington, D.C. on a looming debt crisis. Now, what happens in the next few days could help determine who stays in power or who comes to power. The good news, and right now kind of the bad news, is that the Democrats are in a position of making their own fate. The right just did what it does best. It ensured that the country is once again on the brink, this time of not being able to pay its bills. There should be no surprise that the GOP voted tonight to put the country in crisis, blocking a bill to suspend the debt limit and avert a government shutdown. They're playing Americans for fools. Fools who might believe that refusing to raise the debt ceiling is a way to keep Democrats from their spending aims, which, by the way, are a laundry list of exactly what you've said you've wanted overwhelmingly in the polls. But this is not a way to stop spending going forward, okay? It is yet another blow to America's viability. When you mess with the debt ceiling, you mess with the strength of this economy. Mitch McConnell knows that. That's why this is what he said last week. We all agree America must never default. The debt ceiling will need to be raised. Don't play Russian roulette with our economy. Step up and raise the debt ceiling to cover all that you've been engaged in all year long. Okay, that was last week. Now, today. We will not provide Republican votes for raising the debt limit. There's no chance Republicans will help lift Democrats' credit limit so they can immediately steamroll through a socialist binge that will hurt families and help China. Now, here's what you have to understand. I have said on this show many times, don't hate the player, don't hate the game. To the extent you can, you shouldn't hate anybody. It really does more to you than it does to what you feel about anybody else. But Mitch McConnell knows that what he's saying right now, right there, it's not for other lawmakers because they know it's BS. It's just to deceive people like you. The debt ceiling does not get raised to pay for what you are going to spend. It gets raised every cycle to pay for what was already spent, meaning what Trump and McConnell spent and never balanced thanks to an unpaid for tax cut. McConnell is not saving you money by doing this. He's playing you for a fool and trying to keep the government from paying for what they already spent. It is retroactive. That is a fact. And no, this one is not a, come on, both sides do this whenever they, no. Democrats helped raise the debt ceiling when Trump needed to do it. And McConnell won't. He says his party will only support a clean stopgap funding bill to avert a shutdown. What does that mean? Look, it's going to mean what they want it to mean. And we're going to have to see. And that moves the ball over to the Democrats. But first, to give you an idea of what's at stake if the ceiling isn't raised, salaries to federal workers, 
payments to Medicaid recipients, social security checks, military paychecks, monthly child tax credit, among other things. Now, the Democrats, they are creating problems of their own, potentially. The House, until very recently, was debating, well, they are, they're still debating this massive infrastructure bill. They had a caucus meeting, and we're going to have some news on that in a second with somebody who's a big player. But they are still in the midst of debating the infrastructure bill. It already passed in the Senate, okay? And This is a huge bill also. It's going to affect how you and I get from place to place. The roads we drive on, the bridges we cross, the internet we surf. The only bridge this bill can't address is the one that Democrats seem to have between factions. The House vote has been kicked to Thursday because this Monday date, as many have argued, including this show, was never going to be reasonable. And Nancy Pelosi is a pro. She's not going to put a bill on the floor that she doesn't have the House, that she doesn't have the votes for. Okay? Progressives are being asked to pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill in front of them, the one that went through the Senate, and trust that their much larger reconciliation spending bill will still make it to the president's desk. They don't buy it. Now, that's a bad sign. The progressives say no. They have to be done at the same time. The president's on our side. This is what he wanted. Again, A reminder of what is at stake if the Democrats keep shooting at each other. They could lose the majority after the midterms next year. The propagators of the big lie, whitewashers of January 6, ignoring what just happened in Arizona to keep falsely counting votes under some false pretense in other states, they could very well come back into power. Russia, they made up a hoax. The Democrats, they made it up. It was a hoax. And now they're doing it again with the January 6th. Okay, they're doing it again. January 6th was a hoax? Really? It may have seemed surreal, but it was very real. This is what you are up against. Can Democrats afford to be fighting with each other when that is what they're against? Let's bring in a player who can take us behind the scenes of what's going on. Today was a big day. They just finished having a big meeting among Democrats. The man on your screen, one of the progressive Democrats willing to bend a bit to help Biden get this infrastructure bill through. His name is Ro Khanna. Deputy Whip of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Good to have you back on primetime, sir. Chris, always great to be on. So I heard from Representative Jayapal uh, that there was progress made. You guys are close. What's the reality? We are close. We all want to get behind President Biden's agenda. Let's be clear. There are 210 House Democrats who want to do that. There are 48 senators who want to do that. There are very few holdouts. What we've said is... We just need a public agreement about the reconciliation spend uh, and some of the framework, and we're ready to vote for the bill. So let's just get everyone in a room, get that uh, agreement done, and then we pass uh, the president's agenda. Do you guys understand what you're playing with here? I get that Democrats are not Republicans. I get that you guys don't do lockstep the way they do most of the time. But your mandate was... You know, you guys right now are saying the mandate was the spending bill. Yes, and infrastructure, but really the spending bill? No. The top item on your mandate, Roe, and I know you know this, was 
No more trumpery. No more toxic politics. No more opposition as a position. Get things done. Are you guys worried that even what's happening right now may weaken your hand going into the midterms? Chris, yes, we're worried. I mean, I read Robert Kagan's chilling piece about the rise of Trump in 2024. Anyone who dismisses that is foolish. And we have to govern. We have to deliver. The consequences of us failing are very severe, not just for our party, not just for this president, but for democracy itself. And a number of members at the caucus made that point that more than anything, we have to get this done because democracy itself is at stake. I believe that. Progressives believe that. Moderates believe that. And that's why ultimately I think we're going to rally around Joe Biden. He's the president. We need to fall in line, get behind him, and he can come uh, to an agreement between the factions. We're saying we're willing to negotiate. Uh, I guess I don't know what more progressives can do, uh, but say we want what the president wants and, and get his agenda through, and we're willing to be reasonable. What if the president says, vote yes on Thursday on the infrastructure bill, Roe, let's get that done, and take on faith that I will get the reconciliation bill in the best way that I can? Would you vote yes on Thursday? President's not going to say that. I've been in touch with uh, not the president directly. Why do you have to defeat my hypothetical like that, Ro? I spent all this time coming up with it and you just well, shoot it away. You, you so, know, you always ask, you have you, you're, you're, you better hypotheticals than almost anyone. Will but you the, vote the, yes on just the infrastructure bill? It, I want it. Here's why. I would vote yes on an infrastructure bill that the progressives were part of negotiating and that had the president's climate priorities. But what happened here is you have an infrastructure bill that says we're actually not going to have electric buses. We're actually not going to have electric vehicle infrastructure. We're not going to have a clean energy standard. We're not going to even take any advice or any perspective from progressives. And now you want us to just vote for that? That was never the agreement. If you wanted to do an infrastructure bill and you had progressives there and you wanted to have clean uh, energy standards, sure, I could vote for a separate infrastructure bill. But the understanding in the beginning was we're going to do this because we need the Romney vote. We need the Portman vote. Just put up with it. It's and you not didn't perfect. get them anyway. Well, we got with some of them, but, but put up with this bipartisan thing, but we'll give you reconciliation. Now, what we're saying is we're open to negotiating on reconciliation, but how can you in the 21st century pass an infrastructure bill that doesn't deal, deal with climate? That's certainly not what any Democrat ran on. And uh, absolutely. And in the polls, it's not where people place their priorities on your side of the aisle when it came to what they wanted to see. However, how much credit do you give the argument that something is better than nothing? I give it a lot of credit. I, and the reason I give it a lot of credit is, Chris, you know, I was a co-chair for Bernie Sanders. We don't have Medicare for all. I get uh, criticized by my base. We don't have free public college in this bill. We don't have a $15 minimum wage in this bill. We don't have a lot of things that Bernie Sanders, that Elizabeth Warren, that progressives believe. We started out at $6 trillion. We've already compromised to $3.5 trillion. We're willing to compromise more. We said, let's pass this bill in the Senate before bringing it to the House. We're willing not to even compromise on that and said, let's just get a public agreement. They haven't even given us a number, Chris. The president basically begged them. They said, put up a number. How can you negotiate when the other side isn't even willing to tell you what their proposal is? So I feel in this case, the progressives have been exceedingly reasonable. We want to get something done and we just need to get behind President Biden's vision here. The McConnell move on the debt ceiling, not a surprise. The hypocrisy even week over week, not a surprise. But what does that tell you 
about just how high the stakes are, how willing the Republicans are to do everything they can to have you guys fail. And what does that mean in terms of how much you guys have to come together on your side of the ball? They're waiting to kill you on the other side. Chris, I always knew that they wanted us to fail. What is shocking is that they want this country to fail. You expose the hypocrisy. And the biggest hypocritical line in McConnell's speech is, this is what we need to do to compete against China. Give me a break. The single biggest thing we could do that would give China a leg up is to default on our debt. It would basically be handing China the competitive advantage of the 21st century. And any Republican who cares an iota of us leading should be voting to increase the debt ceiling. But we're going to be responsible. Democrats are always responsible. We'll vote on a party line basis to to raise the debt ceiling. But let me tell you, the American people are smart. They played these shenanigans in the Clinton years. The American people saw through it. They'll see through it this time as well. And I think they will reward Democrats at the polls for doing the responsible thing. Do you think uh, that there is a vote this week at all on the Democrat side? I'm hopeful. I I think we're closer uh, than people realize. I think we can get an agreement. Uh, The president, I think, has done an extraordinary job, along with uh, Ron Klain and Steve Ricchetti. They're reaching out. And they've convinced 99% of us. They just need to convince the other couple folks. Let me tell you this. Democrats around the country are outraged that a few people are blocking the aspirations, not just of those in Congress and the Senate, but of Democrats around the country. We nominated Joe Biden. We elected Joe Biden. He's sort of the median point of the Democratic Party. He's been a lifelong moderate. Is it too hard to get behind him? I mean, that's politics. He's the leader, not me, not every other member of Congress. Let's get behind our Democratic president. Well, I appreciate that. It's a perfect segue uh, to the segment I'm going to do after the break, which is showing where the people are and what they wanted from the Democrats. Congressman Rokana, thank you very much. Good luck doing the people's business. Thank you, Chris. Be well. All right. So what happens now? It's going to be very profound uh, on the future of who leads us. How? We have the Wizard of Odds to show us where Americans stand on these bills and what Biden and the Democrats can learn from one of Trump's legislative victories. Some good insight from that guy. Next. The bad news is that the Democrats are showing this country that they are not together. The good news is The country is with them. Proof. Both the Senate passed infrastructure plan and this larger $3.5 trillion package that progressives want to pass through reconciliation. Look, they are in an existential place with both of them. But if Biden gets his wish list, even a fraction of the plan could dramatically transform our lives and are wildly popular. I want to give a hat tip to Axios, okay? They kind of framed what the reality would be. With more than uh, $66 billion invested into Amtrak and other rail projects, high-speed trains may become a preferred mode, maybe even overflying. We'll see more electric cars because they'll be more affordable. The plan is to give you up to 12500 in tax credits per vehicle, and you could drive those electric cars to pick up your kids from a free or subsidized daycare center. Now, that is a big ticket item with people of all different places and faces in this country. The White House says the average family will save $14,800 a year, while lower income families won't have to pay anything. 
The plan calls for two years of free preschool, two years of free community college, and the broadband expansion would mean high-speed internet from anywhere. Medicare would expand, would cover dental, vision, hearing, the price of many prescription drugs, insulin, drop. And for those who need to take care of a sick family member, you'd get 12 weeks guaranteed paid leave. Not to mention that there are investments in clean energy, affordable housing, job training programs. But here's the catch. How do you pay for it? The bottom line from the White House is that it'll pay for itself through increased taxes on the rich and other measures. But on the Senate bill alone, a CBO score found that it would instead add hundreds of billions of dollars to the deficit over the next 10 years. Now, finding a way forward is going to require Democrats to lay out a clear path on how to fund it. Does that matter to the American people? Yeah, but how much and in what way? How do they see these proposals? Harry Enton, the Wizard of Oz, has the answers. All right, lay it out. Set the table for me about what people see and why. They're popular. These bills are popular. You know, you talk about the reconciliation bill. You talk about the Senate plan that already passed. Look at this. Two or more to one support versus opposition for both of these bills. If I was a strategist, I'd say, pass something, pass anything. And we can see that when we make the comparison back to the Trump tax cuts back in 2017, right? What do we see there? The Trump tax cuts, the opposition was far greater than the support, but the Republicans passed something. And in passing something, they were able to rally the base and Trump's approval rating went higher. Given that the Biden bills are popular, you have to at least potentially see the possibility, given how unpopular Biden is at this point, that this could boost his popularity at a time that he needs it. Uh, One step sideways. You know, the knock is going to be, well, first of all, they got to figure out how to pay for it. Um, And it's going to be a lot of taxing the rich. But while taxes, people don't like them, taxing the rich, people like you, Harry, Everybody's okay with that. When you look across the boards, right, in terms of when you look at numbers of demographics, the idea of taxing the rich to pay for this, that doesn't play the same way as just raising taxes. That's right. I mean, look, we don't have a slide on it, but I can tell you that the numbers in that same Pew poll showed that taxing the rich works. We see this throughout the polling that taxing the rich is popular. People don't want to see their own taxes increase, but they want to, in fact, see the richest taxes increase. And that was part of the reason why the Trump bill wasn't popular back in 2017, was people thought that, in fact, that the rich were going to get a tax cut. Raising taxes on the rich is a political winner. Um, High stakes. The central tenet of Biden's presidency is not just the spending, is not infrastructure. The number one thing that people wanted for him was no more Trump. They didn't want the talk. They didn't want the tone. They wanted to show that government could work. Do they believe it so far? No, they don't believe it. They don't think that Joe Biden's accomplished much of anything so far. And that's part of the reason why I think it's so important for him to pass something for his political well-being. Look at this. Just 40% of Americans think he's accomplished a great or fair amount. 58% say only some or very little. In fact, the very little versus the great is something like four to one in this poll. So look, he needs to do something because his approval ratings are low. The base is not with him at this particular point. The enthusiasm with them is low. And so I would say, you know, again, just looking at the numbers, passing these bills could in fact be the jet fuel that he needs at this point. Now, 
all this is a snapshot of a moment in time, but we are where we are. That's why this point could be pivotal. You got over six and 10 who believe that the country's going the wrong way. There are various reasons why they may feel that. But how does it all play in to where we are right now in terms of how people feel about the midterms? This to me, this slide says it all. And what essentially I did here was, okay, let's take the choice for Congress and say, are you enthusiastic or not about voting next year? Among those who are extremely or very enthusiastic, look at that. The Republicans hold a four-point lead. But if you look at those who are somewhat or not enthusiastic, it's Democrats hold a six-point lead. What Democrats want to be able to do is build enthusiasm from their base. Because remember, midterm elections, yes, it's about preference, but it's also about turnout. Democrats want to do what they did in 2018, get their voters to turn out if they can and do, they have a much better shot in the midterms and they have to give their voters something to vote for, which these uh, two packages could in fact do. Harry Anton, very, very helpful. We call you the wizard of odds for a reason. I Thank try you. my best. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to bring in some better minds to look at why the Democrats are where they are and why isn't it as obvious to them as it was to me and Harry. Pass something. Look how it worked with Trump. People didn't even like the tax cuts. You are traditional conservatives saying, wait, they're not paid for. We don't do this on the right. And it still gave them a boost. Why does that not play as logic right now with the left? Better Minds, next. I want you to know that when you complain about something, it doesn't fall on deaf ears. Many of you say, will you stop talking about Trump? You know why? Why do you have? May I make an argument? Trump matters. Trust me, there is no pleasure in talking about the former president, not for me. But he is the one that almost half of Congress seems to follow. And because not only is he the leader, but it's how he is leading. He is all in on chaos. Listen. They're destroying our country. Our country will not survive this. Our country will not survive. The guy just said January 6th was a hoax, and he's talking about what threatens the existence, the survivability of this country. And you have to see what he's doing because they're all doing it. Not all. Many of them are doing it now. The awful ineffable they, meaning anyone who's not with him. And despite losing in epic fashion, he lives a lie that lingers despite it failing every test, ever fueled by poison passion, but never proof. His lawyers always knew it. State by state officials in his own party knew it and know it. Even the Fugazi cyber ninjas now know it. But do you hear that? That is the sordid silence of almost half Congress. And because they refuse to call out Arizona's echo of the obvious, the lies linger and even grow more accepted every day. Look, to the point where a majority... That's not in party. Now no longer have confidence in the core of our system of government. If you don't believe that elections 
reflect the will of the people and should be acted upon, what do we have? Is that selling America first? Or is that America at her worst? And all just to get power back from the Democrats. What will be left? It is in this gangrenous, you know, this just gangrene group that Liz Cheney stands out. Not because of what she's saying, but the fact that she's the only one saying it. The alternative cannot be a man who doesn't believe in the rule of law and who violated his oath of office. Now, here's the thing. She's not the only one on the right who thinks it. Many in my business are often told off the record how bad Trump is. That He's like a bad rash. But the base, whoa, you know, I have book after book keeps telling us that Trumpers like Lindsey Graham, Mike Lee, they know the danger. That's why you're not shocked to hear so-called Republicans say one thing in public, but something else in private. The argument that, that you often hear is that if you do something that's perceived as against Trump, um, that, you know, you'll put yourself in political peril. All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing. Now, that is commonly misattributed to Edmund Burke a century ago in England, but so on point that JFK adapted it here in the 60s, and it matters as much and as true, germane, and relevant today. This is a warning to right and left. Democrats better realize that fighting themselves does not look like robust debate. It looks like weakness to a country that was promised better. 2022 is coming, and with it, a wave of retrumplicans willing to do anything to regain power, now aided by state legislatures racing to spread distrust about the last election, changing laws to affect the next one, including redrawing electoral maps in a way that makes a mockery of majority rule. Will the right wake up to the Faustian bargain it is making with a malignant man and mentality? Will the Democrats wake up and realize any bargain that gives people even some of what is wildly popular is better than nothing? Or will the rest of us awaken to a reality that irrevocably abandons the promise of America? Let's talk consequences of a fractured Democratic Party with Van Jones. What are they going to do this week? What do I not get about why they think that this is okay? A better mind, next. Let's take a listen to the Democratic state of play right now. We will vote for both, but we need to actually get the reconciliation bill done. You've got infrastructure in historic once in a century. There's no reason why we shouldn't pass that right away. Whoop. Meanwhile, this is the threat they're facing. Because they cheat on the elections. They don't need votes. They cheat on the election. The man will lie and stop at nothing. Are the Democrats playing like that's what they're playing against? Let's bring in a better mind. Van Jones, the one and only. Good to see you. Good to see you. Am I missing something? 
Well, listen, I, I, I think it's a healthy debate. I know right now it looks, you know, people are biting their nails, it's a, it's a tough week. But the progressives have a point. Uh, the, the, the policies that progressives have been fighting for are wildly popular, insanely popular, and they have the opportunity to get more done. And when you have that moment, you know in politics, when you have that moment, you want to get all you can out of it. People keep saying, well, you know, just compromise, compromise. I understand why you say that. At the same time, every dollar they back off of could be a grandma that doesn't get a hearing aid, could be a toddler that doesn't go to pre-K. This is, these, the, the ideas that they're fighting for are so important for ordinary people that it's hard to tell them, hey, just sit down, shut up, back off, let the moderates have their way. And so I, I think what you forget is the moderates actually have the unpopular positions because they are less enthusiastic about some of these programs. And the progressives, for once, actually have the, the country on their side, according to the polling data. So that's why they, I think, want to stick it out and try to get all they can while they can get it. I'm with you. Optics, though. Optics. They should have been doing this in quiet. Uh, and they're not. <laughs> but if you look at the, what we learned, Trump didn't get the tax cut that he wanted. People didn't like the tax cut but he's still got a boost. If people get $1 trillion of spending on those, there are going to be a lot of grandmas without hearing aids, to use your metaphor, but there'll be a lot more with them than would have been otherwise. Do you think the Democrats get punished if it's $1 trillion? I'm just throwing the number out there. Instead of $3.5 trillion, you think they get punished? No, I don't think that they get punished. And look, first of all, you have Nancy Pelosi and I believe at the end of the day, you're going to see the bills get passed again, passed the right way in the right order. But uh, it is, in fact, the case that you're looking at a Democratic Party that is watching people come home from Afghanistan after 850 gazillion dollars being spent. I don't even know. Nobody can count how much money was spent over there. And there's not a positive outcome. And so when those are the numbers that you're talking about and now you have a chance to, to spend real money on real people's problems, I think the progressives are right to stand their ground. I think it's the moderates in this case who need to be looking in the mirror because uh, why is it the progressives are going to be blamed if we don't get across the finish line when the moderates in this case actually have the less popular position? I, I agree with you. I think, you know, I know what I'm missing. I just figured it out. That's supposed to be your job. Um, <laughs> here's what I'm missing. You're talking progressives and centrists or moderates, and you're not wrong, but I'm just talking Democrats. See, I don't know that the people watching see the interior factions the way you do, and rightly so, Van. Everything you've said is 100% accurate and backed up by the polling data. You're right, okay? But I don't think that's what people see. People see, are you going to do something for me or not? Because these guys on the other side, they are desperate to get back in power. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, in some ways, it's kind of like the uh, Game of Thrones, you know, like the, the White Walkers are coming. You, know what I mean? you have a much bigger threat than whatever is going on at King's Landing. And so, yes, I understand that you've got that bigger threat. But I think that what I, when I talk to progressives, both grassroots and in office, what they're saying is the bigger the package that we can get across the finish line, the stronger we are ultimately. Yeah. You may not like the optics. You may not like, like the back and forth. By the way, you know, don't forget on the other side, when the Tea Party was trying to get the Republican Party to move, they were a lot more fractious, a lot more uh, belligerent. I, I, mean, I mean, they were, you know, they were bringing out the torches against their own people. Yeah, there's some back and forth. It's, a, it's an un, this is unhappy not that. kind of family. This, this is, is not, not that. that. But, but remember and, why you guys got elected. You guys got elected because nobody wanted that anymore. Now, true, it was a little true. bit of a lighter situation on, on, on the congressional side than with Biden. But right. 
they believed that you guys could do better in terms of getting things done. You say Pelosi. Is she going to be the uh, Arya Stark? of this situation. You see her coming, flying over the top uh, when Jon Snow doesn't know what he's doing and is going to finish this off. Is that what you're saying? I I believe that in my heart of hearts. Do not bet against Nancy Pelosi under any circumstances. She will get this figured out. She will get this thing done. She'll get us across the finish line. But I think it's healthy for this party to have to look at the fact we do have power in the hands of the Democrats. Are we going to do all we can while we can to help as many people as we can or are we going to let a few voices on the moderate side of the party, in this case, uh, have us back all the way off without even having the argument? I, I respect both sides. I respect the, the, the tone of this argument. I think it's been good. People are biting their nails. They should be because, you know, there's a, there is a threat here that you don't get it done. But this is going to get done. And a month from now, looking back, you're going to say, we got past the debt crisis. We got both these infrastructure pieces done and Democrats can deliver. That's a much stronger place to be next year looking down the barrel of the, of the Republican Party than uh, the alternative. Percentage chance that that's where you are? With Nancy Pelosi, I'd say 100%. Hmm. Remember, you're from uh, California. Remember the Raiders' motto? Just win, baby. Just win, baby. This is your chance. <laughs> this is your chance. Let's see how you do. Van Jones, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Developments in the Petito case. Why the search for Gabby Petito's missing fiance is being scaled back? And why did the FBI go back to the home of Brian Laundrie, the fiance? Questions we'll tackle with a brilliant legal mind next. Boy, what a memorial uh, that the Petitos uh, and the Schmitz had for Gabby trying to remember what she meant in life and what she can mean going forward. And now the focus is going to be on finding the fiance. And there's new audio that sheds light on what police officers knew before they stopped Brian Laundrie and Gabby in Moab, Utah on August 12th. Now, we already knew, and I'll remind you, someone called 911 to report a domestic dispute involving the couple where a woman saw Brian strike Gabby. After that, what did dispatch tell the officers before the stop? Listen. The female who got hit, they both, the male and the female, both got into the van and headed north. RP states seen a male hit a female domestic. He got into a white Ford Transit van. Isn't that called an assault? The city of Moab is now launching an investigation into the officer's handling of the dispute. Now, remember, when people saw the tape, they found remarkable, you know, if you go look it up online, how nice the officer seemed to be in the situation. And it was a compliment. Well, now how should it be seen? The manhunt for laundry is in its second week. Police haven't found any trace. All we know is that FBI agents returned to the Florida home laundry shared with his parents on Sunday, asking for items that might have his DNA. Why? Joey Jackson is with me now. Uh, let's go in reverse order, brother. And thanks for, ha- for being with me tonight. Uh, why look for DNA? 
So I think there's three reasons, Chris, uh, that they're going to look for that. Number one, you have to attach the DNA to the actual crime scene itself. So you want to match there. Number two, let's remember that they're looking for him, right? And so in the event that he's found without identification, you're going to pinpoint match that it is him. Say in the alternative that he is not found, uh, he's in a demise state or some other state, they'll be able to match the DNA there. So to the extent that DNA is all about identification, those are the three primary purposes in which the DNA is being sought. They'll have a sample and they'll be able to attach it in each of those instances. Witness says to an officer, I saw the guy hit the woman. They got in the van and they left. Officer finds the van, stops them. The guy does not say that that didn't happen. He makes it a little bit more about her hitting him. Why don't you have probable cause for an arrest? I think you may have probable cause for an arrest. Listen, I lock horns with police officers every day, right? It's the nature of my job, attacking them for their investigation or lack thereof, attacking them for their observations, attacking them for what they do and not do. In this instance, however, we have to remember, right? We blame the police because they make an arrest and they're heavy handed. We blame the police because they don't make an arrest by use of their discretion. And so police are out there making discretionary calls. I think they could have made the call to arrest. But I just want to be clear in this instance, the person I blame is Mr. Laundry, right? Innocent until proven guilty. Everyone's entitled to that presumption, but the evidence is piling up as to him. So whether the police arrested him that day or some subsequent day, if he's heck bent on doing something untoward, inappropriate, illegal, or killing someone, it's going to occur. And that's what it looks like presumptively happened here. So with respect to the police's conduct, we can second guess it, third guess it, fourth guess it. They did not make the arrest. This is what occurred. And he's the one to blame. and He's the one responsible, allegedly, not the police officers in Mohawk. Instead, what they said was, hey, you two guys need to be separated for a night. They put him into different uh, hotels and then uh, that was it. Why ask for the DNA now, by the way, just to go back to that first forensic point? Yeah, I think they're closing in. I think they're clear to that. And remember, there's a grand jury investigation going on at this point. What does that mean? It means that a grand jury has convened, again, consisting of those 23 people, not deciding guilt or innocence, just establishing this reasonable cause to believe a crime was committed and that the subject of that investigation committed it. That's Mr. Landry. We know that just a simple majority can vote out an indictment. We also know that they did vote out an indictment. That is the grand jury as to that one count of the electric fraud. We know they didn't go, that is, authorities and prosecutors to a grand jury to get an indictment for debit fraud. We know they're in front of that grand jury presenting significant evidence to build up to the murder. So you're going to want to present that DNA for that grand jury purpose, which is another reason. One, the crime scene issue. Two, if you find him, you identify him. Three, if there remains, you can identify that. Four, get that information before the grand jury and make a connection with respect to what occurred and with regard to who actually is responsible. Uh, people I was watching during uh, CNN tonight and other places who know this park say uh, they think it would be very hard to be in there this long. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a valid point. If you look, well, we don't at know he ever went in there. We just know his car was there. That's correct. But they have to, of course, look when they're investigating and they have to pursue every single lead they possibly can. And they have to, if they believe that this is the place, look for them. But if you look at the terrain, the snakes, the alligators, etc., it could potentially be problematic. They're scaling back. They're following the leads as they know them. And what their thoughts are is either A, Chris, he's alive somewhere and he's there, or B, perhaps he's someplace else, or C, the, um, you know, he's uh, not around at all. Two families, 
Two people, lives ruined forever. Gabby, never coming back. Thank you, Joey Jackson. Appreciate you. Speak to you again soon. All right, we'll be right back with the handoff. Thank you for watching Don Lemon tonight with its big star. D Lemon starts right now. This is the first time in, gosh, months that I haven't seen you. I didn't see you the entire weekend, Chris Cuomo. My loss. I know. (laughs) You were like, thank goodness I don't have to carry that one this weekend and pay for all the bills. How you doing? (laughs) Peachy. Yeah. Uh, I am uh, kind of confused by, you know, these two stories, this manhunt story. I don't know where this guy is. I was listening to all these experts say they don't think he could make it in the park that long. There's other person saying, you know, if you're going to commit suicide, people, suicide's not usually a destination activity unless you're going to jump off something. But isn't that why maybe they're asking for his DNA, but go on. Yeah, I don't know why they're asking for it right now. Um, That's curious. Uh, Hopefully it's suggestive of some type of advance. But I'm even more confused because that's just sad. You know, Gabby's gone and you know what you need to know there. But with the Democrats, I I get it. You know, I was just talking to Van. I don't think the American people see progressives and moderates or central. You know, you, you see the left and you see the right. And I don't know that it helps to assess this situation by saying, well, you know, the progressives, you know, they've got they've got good points here. These are very popular things. So the centrists really should give. I think people are watching and saying, you guys going to get something done for us or not? And they face an existential threat, Don. I have never seen politicians be open to what is passing as state of play on the right right now. I've never seen anything like it. We have one, as I have said, well, and everything that you've said is why I don't belong to a political party. Because, um, listen, there are many good things about political parties and many not so good things about political parties. But I just don't believe in voting because someone is a Republican or someone is a Democrat. I vote on what they, what they have done, what they will do, what their records are, and what they stand for. So having said that, there is one political party in this country that is working on reality, and that is a Democratic Party. But even in that... They're not governing very well at the moment. They're not performing the duty of being good politicians in the moment. They don't see the urgency of what's happening across the country with voting rights, what's happening, uh, the urgency of, of um, what's happening with the, the big lie. They, they are still operating on, on thinking that, oh, everything is n- normal. You know, we've, we've got to play politics as usual. It's not politics as usual. What is happening on the right is not politics as usual. And what's happening on the right is not right. It's wrong. And they, they should pay the consequences for what they're doing to our democracy, the damage they're doing to our democracy, and the damage they're doing to this republic. So hopefully, I, I, I don't see it happening in the, in the near future. I hope the Republican Party can come back to some sort of semblance of a party that cares about um, actual democracy and people, but I don't see that happening soon. Whom did you hear from the Republican Party say, I'm glad that Arizona issue got cleared up. Not only did he win, but he won by more votes and Trump lost votes. He got almost 199 more votes, but Joe Biden did than he did in the actual election. Did you hear Cruz, Paul, Rubio, Hawley, you know, any of the guys who are distinguishing themselves? None. Who came out and said enough with this? They did it. They know. But they know. But that's the point. I mean, they know they, you know they know they're lying and they just want all they want to do is stay in power. And they that's it. And they want to keep their positions. So if you know that that's what you're up against, my brother, 
what kind of ball would you be playing on the other side? I'm not saying the Democrats shouldn't figure it out, but I wouldn't be airing it out in public. I wouldn't let people see me divided. The Democrats have to stop acting like it's 1997 or 1992 or even, let's go back to when Barack Obama was in office or even, you know, 2012. It's not that anymore. That, that's not what's happening in this country. Republicans don't want to work with you, Democrats. Republicans don't want to work with you, Joe Biden. They don't want to do it. So they have to figure out what they're going to do in order to keep this country on track. It is now up to the Democrats and to the independents and to the Republicans who aren't the Trumpers, who don't who won't, you know, apologize and be apologists for everything that Donald Trump says or does or lies about. It is up to those people to save this country. And if they don't do it, then God help us. We're going to see. Yeah. I, I look, Nancy Pelosi, I, I cannot criticize her feel for the game. You just can't. You know, she's had to, it's like Mitch McConnell. I, I'm not comparing them in terms of any kind of ideology, but they know how to do what they do. Yeah. And she's not going to bring something to the floor if she doesn't have the votes. This setting this 27th wound up not working for her or for yeah. the party because it has now evidenced them uh, to the country at large at a time where the numbers are not good for Biden personally. They're not good in terms of job performance and they're not good in terms of right way or wrong way for the country. Yeah. Now, on that last one, they're probably blaming the Republicans a lot for that also. But they need to get something done. And some is better than none. These are yeah. all popular items they're doing. Whatever they get done. But what if they don't get anything done? Yeah, that's the, that's the point. And let me tell you this. And this goes for us in the news media as well. Mm-hmm. Now that, that um, you know, COVID has, uh, we're out of quarantine, so to speak, still safe, still wearing the mask and whatever. Um, I've had a chance to travel around the country. As you know, I've gone to my home state. I did a little traveling this weekend. And I've been able to go and talk to people and see people in the airport or wherever it is, out and about. Um, we listen to the fringes too much. The fringes have the loudest voices. The fringes all the way on the right have the loudest voices. The, the people who are not, you know, playing with reality, uh, the Trumpsters, not, we listen to them Twitter. too much. Twitter. We listen to Twitter too much, and we listen to the far left, everything. We listen too much to them. It is the radical middle, the radical center that is actually, should actually be in charge in this country. But we give, I guess, you know, it plays well on television, so I guess we play the sound bites, right? We go to the rallies, we do, and we listen to all these things. That's not how actual, that's not how most of the country votes. That's not how most of the country feels. And, but somehow most of the country should get together and let these people know that they're not helping most of the country, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. I'm telling you, if you're a Republican and you care about what's happening in this country, you need to get on the Democrat side to get your own party in order. That's the only way that's going to fix First it. First of all, you need more parties. Uh, yeah. Second of all, you have to beware because passion can be them. passion can be population. Yeah. And that's why they cater these cultural issues on the right, because those people come out and vote on them. But yeah. I hear you, brother. You're right. Hey, virtual hug, because I didn't get to see you. Love you, D. Lemon. <laughs> no, I got to do you like this. What is that? Is that like that's, some kind of fat joke? Yes, it is. Right. I love you. I love I'll you. see you later. See you. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.